Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, as we charge forward toward the holiday season, it may be especially a difficult time of year for those of you who recently lost a loved one, a parent, a spouse, a sibling, or God comfort you, a son or daughter, And whether your loved one died in this calendar year or earlier, bittersweet memories of the departed tend to come back around Christmas, Hanukkah, and New Year's as we remember past holiday celebrations in their presence. But to help lighten your spirits over the holidays, I've invited a guest who is no stranger to the presence of death and dying. My guest, Margot Lenmark, grew up in her family's Midwestern funeral home and is, in fact, an undertaker's daughter. But here's the good news. Margot is here to tell, uh, tell us how she learned that death is not the end. In fact, folks who have passed away have given her and can give you and me lessons about how to live. And here's a worthy goal. Let's spend the holiday season every day of the year celebrating the lives of departed loved ones rather than mourning their deaths while uh, opening ourselves to learn valuable lessons along the way. And in fact, Margot Lenmark has written a brand new book on the subject of death and life lessons. It's titled Life in the Morning, Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter. And by the way, the title is spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, not the uh, morning time of the day. And here's Margot's bio. She was born in northern Wisconsin and has journeyed far from her Midwestern roots for an exciting and fulfilling life and service to others, has taught stress management to executives of major U.S. corporations, including General Motors and McDonnell Douglas, also has taught meditation to individuals and groups as far away as Egypt, India, and the Philippines, and she's taught yoga to those seeking health and relaxation close to her present North Carolina home, and she's a former top salesperson for Books Are Fun and subsequently started and managed an alternative health center in Palm Beach, Florida, and her current day job is a successful real estate broker in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Western North Carolina. And hello, Margot Lenmark. It's great to have you with us during this sentimental time of the year. Thank you, Roy. It's really nice to be here. Well, let's begin with your background. You grew up as an undertaker's daughter in Wisconsin. Uh, What funeral responsibilities, if any, did you share growing up? And did you actually reside in the funeral parlor? Did you attend many funerals? And what was it like living daily in the presence of death and mourning? Um, no, we did not grow up in the funeral home, um, but I visited the yeah I visited the funeral home a lot because I would go there after school. And my father would uh, you know, give me a ride home and things like that. So I was around death and and grieving a lot. 
Um, but I, I really developed, I think, quite a perspective on death from that. And when I got older, it, um, it had a really good effect on me when people around me started to die. You tell us that uh, your life growing up was anything but morbid, and observing your cheerful demeanor and your accomplishment-filled career in marketing and instruction, you certainly don't appear to be uh, the laid-back product of a funeral parlor upbringing. (laughs) What do you credit your vibrant enthusiasm for being alive? Well, a couple of things. One is the DNA from my parents. They were they were very lively uh, people. Um, well, they were in the I, wrong I, business then. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you read the book, you'll see yeah, exactly. You'll see from my father. He was um, really deep, wonderful, compassionate man, That's and. Great. Oh, he was he was the one you wanted to talk to if somebody died. He he had the ability to really um help people through that deep grieving process that they yeah, were going that, through. That is such a talent that uh, the really accomplished undertakers and funeral parlor managers have, I think, that, that so many lack. Is that exactly. deep understanding and, and you know they're not faking it and uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. whispering around you. Right, right. He he really had the gift, and and that's why he was such a he was such a good funeral director. And I, I really learned uh, I learned my compassion from him for right. sure. Well, in your book's promotion, you inform us that you learned uh, growing up that death is not the end, and that death can actually teach us how to live better lives. Can you cite a couple of examples of lessons you were taught by uh, the recently departed souls? whose body were passing through your dad's funeral parlor. Well, the the lessons that I learned were from people that I knew. I didn't oh, learn I these lessons from the people I didn't know. Um, oh, yeah, um, but the lessons, it, it's really interesting because the people that have been very close to me who have died have left me very clear huh. messages about life and how to live. And. Oh, wow. Isn't that just what we want is for people to come back and tell us what's important about life? Well, these people did. Yeah, and so I learned really important lessons about um, uh, resolving things in life. Like from my mother, I learned the lesson of resolve. And because of her, I have kept every relationship resolved ever since then. I will do whatever it takes to make sure that there's not a misunderstanding between me and somebody else because I'm very aware that I may never see that person again. That person could die or I could die, and I don't want to live with regret. And that was really a very, very important lesson that I learned from my mother. And so I I don't have regrets. I have... I have all my relationships nice and neatly resolved. There's no, there's nothing um, going on that needs to be taken care of between us. Well, so I kind of use death as an advisor. It sits on my shoulder telling me how to live life and to make sure that I'm living it really, really well with that person right now in the, in the moment. Well, that's a great way to put it. Death is on your shoulder, but it's it's not a burden. <laughs> no, not at all. No, it's just a reminder to yeah. to really live well in the moment with the people that you are with. Well, you have a because chapter in your book titled, a, pain, a Worse Pain Than Death. Pray tell, what is this horrendous pain, and what, if anything, can you and I do to avoid it? 
Well, that's the chapter I'm talking about. The a worse pain than death is regret. Is yeah. the regret of not of knowing that you can't go back to that person and tell them that thing you wish you would have told them. Yeah. You can't go back to that person and resolve that situation. That is the pain worse than death because and I learned that with my mother because I had resolved my relationship with my mother right before she died. It's quite mm. quite an interesting story. When she did die, I I cried really hard for about 15 minutes and I never cried again because I didn't have that terrible regret that, oh my God, I can't tell her I love her. I can't tell her I'm sorry for that thing that happened. That is a pain worse than death. It really is because it'll haunt you after they die if you don't have it resolved with them before they die. Well, here's a really tough question. In, in one of your book's testimonials, that noted author Deepak Chopra, MD, notes that Life is the continuum of birth and death eternally and now. Uh, from yes. your experience with the recently departed, did you observe evidence of eternal life? And uh, uh, can we expect to receive messages from beyond? What's, what's yes, 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 I did. Re- yes, Here, here's the thing. You know, his quote is so powerful. Life is not the opposite of death. It is birth and death that are opposites. It's because when you're born, you come into the body. When you die, you drop your body. You leave it. So there's something that continues on, which I'm calling consciousness and life. And so life is that continuum of birth and death eternally. And I do have story after story of that in my book of how I either contacted people after they died or they contacted me. But there's evidence in my book through these stories that life does go on after the body is gone. And that's what's reassuring to me, and it's it's what's reassuring about the book, and that's why there is light in the morning, because I have a chapter in there on grief, and if you really grieve well, you grieve properly, um, I don't know what will come out of that for you, but what came out of it for me were these lessons from people. They had to do with our life together on earth, and after they died, I got a very important message for them from them about oh, wow. life. Yeah, it was really powerful. And so the book is not a depressing book at all. It's a very, I think, enlightening book. It, it brings light to people <laughs> to know that there's life after death. Well, let's say a loved one is very old and infirm or may, are in the final stages of an incurable disease. Can you recommend the best way for us to prepare mentally for our loved one's imminent departure? Is there any way to prepare yourself in advance so that the actual departure becomes less painful? Or can you really prepare for that? I don't know that you can actually prepare for it, but there is one thing I can tell you for sure is is really be with that person. What happens when people get very old, um, and this just happened to me recently, a friend of mine's mother died. And right before she died, my friend said, don't go see my mother. She's delusional and it's going to really create confusion in her. My friends who did go to see her found that she was in this space, which I'm now calling this God space. I think it's a a space that she was in between life and death. She was almost gone, but she was still alive. And she knew things. She told my friends why why she was here on the earth. (laughs) And she gave them really good advice. And I think that we should really pay attention to people 
when they're dying because I think they're in this beautiful space between life and death and we can gain a lot from them when they're in that space. Well, here's so, a good question. Have you or your folks, uh, know, you know, uh, received any clear messages from beyond confirming the, the presence of uh, heaven and hell? <laughs> Is it possible to receive a message from a departed loved one uh, telling us that they're doing extremely well and they're experiencing eternal bliss? Or how about mournful messages from the other side warning about the agonies of hell? <laughs> I've never gotten any message about hell, <laughs> um, but I have gotten clear messages of people because I've found them after they've died. I've, I've been in communication with them after they've died, and they're doing extremely well. And it's it's really beautiful when you can have that experience, and that's how I know that life goes on after you die because I have been in communication with them. It's in the book. It's it's a story in the book. <laughs> Many There's several stories in the book. Yeah, we had a similar experience with the. Uh, let me ask you about this. Our, uh, our precious daughter, adult daughter, Kristen, died in a plane crash on New Year's Eve 2006. And over the mm. next several months, my wife and I received several messages from her misplaced items that mysteriously turned up, a string of lights, and a kind friend who overheard our daughter, Kristen, proclaim, I'm fine. And she chuckled just the way she always did in life. However, yes. since that time, we've received no further signs. From your experience, is it common uh, for departed souls to tie up loose ends on earth shortly after departure, especially if their death was sudden and unexpected? Yes, exactly. That That's exactly what happened to me, Roy, is oh. people left me really... Um, they got in touch with me after they died, but then yeah. there, there came a time when they didn't anymore. Yeah. And I think they're around to let you know that they're okay so that you they're, to, they're there to comfort you and let you know that but yeah. then they move on and yeah. i believe they do yeah and they're fine <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what we you know we've had comfort ever since then because we knew that uh, that voice that that woman quoted at the craft fair we were at sounded just exactly like Kristen, and uh, she had been communicating with her so Yes, exactly. I've had I've had many of those experiences, and it's really reassuring, and it, it just brings joy to your heart because you know for sure that that was that person, and you know for sure they're yeah. okay and that they told you that. And so it's so wonderful when that happens. I'm glad you had that experience. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your new book, Light in the Morning, Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter. What prompted you to take time away from your busy uh, life as a successful real estate broker to to write this book about death, grieving, and the departed's journey to the other side. Uh, what prompted yeah, you to do that? What prompted me was um, about 22 years ago when I told somebody about the experience of my father dying, they said to me after I told them the story, you have got to write that in a book. That is really important. Oh. People need to know that. And I told her at the time, I said, I'm not writing a book. You just asked me and I told you, you know. <laughs> but then when my brother died... When my brother died in 2006, also, Roy, the same year as your daughter, and I'm so sorry to hear that. But when he died, I just thought, I've got to write this book. And I thought, whatever comes out of this book will be my living memorial to my brother, because I had 
big questions all over again, like what if it what if it's not true what I believe? What if I don't see him again? So I was really grieving, and I thought whatever comes out of this will be my memorial to my brother. And so that's what prompted me to write the book. And it took 12 years to write because um, I was busy, and, and it's not easy to write a book when you haven't if written If there was before. one message you would like readers to take away from your book, what would it be? Oh, oh, that 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 our loved ones do not die. They do not die. They are with us. Yeah. Where where should the best place for listeners to go to re- preview and purchase your book? I'm, I'm sure a lot. Yeah, of they can. Thank you. They can go on Amazon, and there's there's two books called Light in the Morning. Mine is Light in the Morning. M O U R N I N G. Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter. Yeah. And they just look for your name. Uh, <laughs> yep, Margot Lenmark. Yep, yeah. they can look for my name and they'll find the book, and I hope they do, and I really hope it brings light to their morning. If they're not grieving, they will still get a whole bunch out of it. I, I, a lot of people bought the book and have called me and said, oh, my God, I love your book. It did so much for me. It, it clarified things for me. So you don't even have to be grieving to enjoy the book, I, I think, because it's really, really great lessons for life. So they should go to uh, Amazon then to purchase your book. Is it, do you have any yes, kind of uh-huh. a way for somebody to contact you if they want to do uh, Yes. Yeah, they certainly can. I also have a website. It's called www.lightinthemorning.com. Okay. And um, they can email me. They can look. They can Google me and call me. Other people have. Um, I've had people write me letters. So, yeah, you can find me. Okay. <laughs> Google my name and you'll find my number. <laughs> or if you want to buy a home in your beautiful uh, area of western North Carolina, I guess we could... Uh, yeah, I, I Google me again. That. I'm a realtor. <laughs> yeah. Well, as the old saying goes, only two things in, are certain in life, and that's death and taxes. And I can't help you with taxes, but at least that's they right. are due until April. And as for death, the loss of loved ones can be painful, mostly because we've lost the face-to-face contract with uh, the ones we departed loved ones. But uh, on the other side of the coin, every departing soul leaves behind important messages for the living, as uh, Margot has pointed out, and it's up to each one of us to grasp those messages and then to live life to the fullest in service to others, to pass it on and grieve as long as you need to, but then move on to a protective remainder of life because that, for certain, is what your departed loved one would want you to do. I'm sure nobody uh, who's passed on would want their uh, former spouse or former daughter or whatever your your relationship is to grieve through the rest of their lives because that doesn't really serve anyone, including the right. departed. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Margot's inspiring new book, Light in the Morning, will help point out the way. And thanks so much, Margot Lenmark, for joining us here today. And best of success in your new book. Thank you so much, Roy. I've really enjoyed this talk. And thank you so much for being here. And uh, keep that in mind uh, that as you celebrate the holidays, that uh, it was wonderful having your uh, relatives there. By the way, do you ever uh, have you ever heard? I've heard that we had a guest. Uh, a couple of years ago that said uh, lo- departed loved ones often like to visit their uh, former families during the holiday season. Should we a- anticipate maybe someone dropping in? <laughs> you never know. You know, you, I, I don't think we have control over that. I no, certainly we, don't. No, um, but- 
I would love it if they dropped in, but but after a while, they don't come back to me anymore. So yeah, that's um, the same experience. It's not to say they won't. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see them all someday anyway, and, and thank you yes. so much, Margo. Have a wonderful thank you, Roy. holiday season, and best of success with your book. Bye-bye for now. Thank you so much. Do you feel like your life is out of control, that other people and circumstances are managing you? You become so bogged down with workplace, family, and social responsibilities that you've kind of lost sight on your purpose and your potential for greatness. Heck, you haven't really considered how well you're doing. If so, here's a unique idea. Why not evaluate the past, assess where you are today, and help guide yourself forward by scoring your life like a round of golf? In fact, legendary golfer Ben Hogan once likened golf Uh, life to golf. He said, as you walk down the fairways of life, you must smell the roses for you only get to play one round. Uh, So what if your life was like a round of golf? It may sound crazy, but please stop to ask yourself a couple of questions. What kind of round have I had thus far? And over the front nine, have I been over or under par? And what lessons have I learned to help me on the back nine? And secondly, most importantly, how am I going to finish the round, the one and only one that's been granted to me in this life that I have to live? Are you prepared to uh, energetically approach each hole over the rest of your life while never neglecting, neglecting to take time and soak the opportunities and wonders of God's creation? And my next guest, Andre Wu, takes Arnold Palmer's metaphor a giant step further, breaking down our 80-plus years of living into 18 holes and then assigning uh, each hole a par. And, uh, in fact, he's written a brand-new book on this very, uh, very subject titled The Round of Your Life, a book on golf and life. And he's here today to preview his book and discuss why it makes sense to create your own life scorecard and to keep score hole by hole as you go along. And before I introduce him, uh, here's Andre Wu's bio. He was uh, born in Vietnam and brought by his mom to the U.S. as a toddler during the Vietnam War and has thrived in our country as an adult. And he has a doctor of physical therapy and practiced his trade for 20 years, including six years as owner-president of Absolute Physical Therapy in Houston, Texas. He subsequently spent two and a half years as owner-administrator of a senior home health care franchise. And presently, he's a full-time author, now working on his second book. And as Andre himself puts it, Mostly, he is a proud husband and father of three young children. And guess what? You'd expect a fellow who wrote a book about golf to be a scratch golfer, but that's far from the case. In fact, Andre describes himself as an unaccomplished, high-handicap golfer who can't reach 95 on a consistent basis. Welcome to the club. But here's the important thing, high or low uh, score, Andrew Wu loves to be out on the golf course with friends. And hello, Andrew, uh, thanks for putting your golf clubs away long enough to speak with us today. (laughs) It's my pleasure, Roy. Appreciate you having me on. Well, let's begin with the basics. You encourage all of us to lay out and score our lives as we go along like a golf scorecard. How do you suggest we break down our lives into holes? What is a hole in your definition? 
Well, I basically divide the uh, average lifespan of the current uh, U.S. Uh, citizen to uh, to a front nine and a back nine. The current right. lifespan is about 80 on average, so I broke the first 40 into the front nine and the last 40 into a back nine. And from there, I further divide it into uh, the nine holes in the front, nine holes in the back, based on um, you know, just a natural chronological and a physical development uh, and life stages of a person. Uh, so yeah, for example, I know it looks, makes a lot of sense to break the uh, front nine and back nine at 40 because generally people consider when we reach, we reach 40, we're in, uh, starting middle age, or at least we're well into it. <laughs> that, that's right, those, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and into like a midlife uh, crisis uh, for many folks as well when they uh, take a step back and, and reflect, hey, what what, what have I done in my front nine of my first 40 <laughs> years? <laughs> and so yeah. that's one of the points of my book is, is, is your perspective and, and the, the, um, the approach that you take in viewing that. So, you know, cup half full or cup half empty, if it was yeah. cup half full, then you would say, man, I haven't done enough or what have I done or, you know, I wish I had done this, I wish I had done that versus cup half full would be, Wow, I still have uh, another uh, half uh, front, uh, you know, nine holes to go, uh, half round. Yes, and I would hope more most of us take that uh, half full approach because <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense to sit back and mourn over the mistakes we've made and the deprivations we had when we were younger because it really doesn't help unless we, you know, we can use. Things That's bad right. that happened as as an example of what to avoid in the future, but we don't want to sit back and uh, blame others or blame ourselves for where that, we. And that's very yeah, that's very powerful uh, thing there uh, that you mentioned there, uh, Roy. Uh, this uh, one of my mantras: there's no such thing as mistakes, only lessons. And <laughs> that's a good uh, way to put it. <laughs> well, you know, we won't learn. Uh -huh. no, go ahead. We, we we don't gain insights on those lessons unless we take a step back and actually reflect on uh, on, on what happened, face the facts, uh, not not our stories, but our facts. Yeah, uh, a lot over. of times, you know, we, we put our own stories and our own twist and spin on, on what actually happened. But if we just take uh, an unemotional, neutral step back and just state the facts as they are, then we can come away with the true lessons and the gifts. Yeah, it's that, that, tough to do, that, but it's it's so valuable to step aside as an impartial observer and uh, when you're scoring yourself rather than be sure all thing. emotionally charged in doing it. But, uh, well, sure your thing. scorecard list is uh, par for each hole. For example, hole one, birth through four years old, you assign a par four. Uh, par four for 13 through 18, you actually have a par five. And... Uh, Another, some other holes you have a par three, like 46 through 50. Uh, under your uh, life scoring concept, should we all have the same par, or is it up to each one of us to establish our own pars? And it's if really gonna... up to each. Yeah, it's really up to each one to establish our, your own par. What I did was just set uh, what worked for me, what applied to my life, and and how it transpired, uh, unfolded. Yeah. Uh, and so that I use that as just a basic. Uh, uh, foundation so that um, you know readers can come in and then they can tweak it and 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 and, and adjust and customize it to suit their own life and how yeah. their life uh, unfolded. Well, I know it makes a lot of sense to have a par five in the age thirteen through eighteen because those are the teen years. And 
sure. They're very important and uh, probably count uh, a lot more towards where we're going to end up than some of the other periods. <laughs> sure, and a lot of life-defining uh, moments and events in, uh, during that time period, too. Uh, you know, when when we're right in on the cusp of development and young adulthood and and, and going out on our own with um, perhaps college or, you know, leaving our home for the first time and being independent, uh, those those are big steps, and and so yes. Uh, whenever I uh, golf, I haven't in years, but <laughs> whenever I did, I was pretty satisfied to break a hundred. But in my life, I don't want to have a par set at a hundred. I'd like to do a heck of a lot better, and uh, you know maybe have a par around seventy-two and and break that. But uh, so should our well, pars be yeah. based on our golf scores or on <laughs> something else? <laughs> Well, you do want the, the the overall final par total for the round to be, you know, 72 to make it as realistic and uh, to to the actual metaphor of uh, actual scorecard as we can. Now, you don't what you don't want to do is come up with a score uh, and, and compare your score to others around you because oh, yeah. then you're just setting yourself up for misery. No, so that's so all you're trying true. to do. Is is set your uh, compare your score to your own potential. Yeah. So yeah. So so if you're normally a, uh, shooting in the hundreds, you know, it, then perhaps well, let's say 105 average. Then if you're shooting below that 100, then you're really doing much better than than your potential uh, than your average. I'm sorry. Okay. So now you're starting to uh, to make headway towards your 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 fuller potential and and that's the main goal of i, I think the ultimate goal that everyone uh, should do is just what is my peak potential and have i achieved that if not how can i achieve that yeah, and so that's, that's what this process uh, allows people to to really take a step back and assess uh, whether so you know, whether don't compare yourself to arnold palmer <laughs> tiger Woods, sure. anyone else that's or right. in any other field that you might be in that has nothing to do with golf you compare to what uh, your potential is, and uh, never underestimate that either. <laughs> right, and this process really allows you to 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 see what your potential is uh, yeah. uh, with a numerical number. Uh, because if, if 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 you don't have numbers on it, you really don't have an idea. You, you're not measuring it, and yeah. you really sometimes are doing better or worse than what you you, you thought you were actually doing. So, yeah, that's um, so true. Well, in your book, uh, in the Kirkus Review, it describes your book as a motivational memoir, and you said your life got off to a very rough start. You lost two balls and uh, recorded a triple bogey seven on hole one that's birth to four years old. Uh, briefly describe uh, those incredibly tough circumstances of your infancy. Well, thank you, yes. Um, the first hole is one of those holes where uh, life happens to you, uh, yeah. and you, you're, you're really not in control of the events and circumstances that you're born into. Uh, and so for me, uh, you know, my father, uh, my biological father died at a very young age. I was three. Uh, he was uh, killed in the Vietnam War. And so my mom uh, was uh, left as a widow with two young children, me and my younger sister. She, she was uh, about one and a half, two years old oh, when wow. our, uh, the, you know, Vietnam, uh, uh, the fall of Vietnam, uh, and so the communists took over the country, and uh, she and our, you know, the rest of our family, my, my grandparents and uncles, uh, just 
left and dropped everything that they had pretty much, all the possessions, everything they had worked for, and took a chance uh, on a shrimp boat uh, out into the open seas, uh, hoping that they would be picked up by uh, a U.S. naval ship. Yeah, I remember when they talked about the boat people that were escaping Vietnam. Sure, yes, we were one of those. Um, wow. And there were so many different things that could have gone wrong there, you know, including uh, pirates uh, and uh, being uh, shot and b- being bombed by the communists on, on the yeah. way out. Uh, rough seas, a uh, boat could have sank. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, all those things. But fortunately, we were able to manage uh, to make it to America. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the... The, the metaphor was, you know, my father dying and the metaphor of my mother losing everything and leaving everything behind and, and, and taking that risk uh, yeah, into the open sea. You lost balls. <laughs> yes, sir. Those, yeah. uh, the, the, and, and so that's an example of how to apply a life event into uh, a scorecard. Yeah, uh, tragically, so you you're old, too. Ages five through eight scored even worse. You had an eight four over four. Can you briefly describe the horrible childhood abuse that uh, you and your sister suffered uh, in those early years? It, it's a sad yes, story my, uh, that you've overcome it. So that's, that's yes, great. my mother uh, remarried uh, shortly after she uh, arrived in America to another immigrant. Uh, and because he was able to speak English, um, she really put a lot of hopes uh, into that marriage. Um, it, but it wasn't long before she found out that he was very abusive, oh. um, but, but that the abuse really started after the death of, uh, of their first child together, which was a boy. And in Asian culture, uh, having uh, a son to carry on your family name uh, was a huge deal. Yeah. And uh, that death really triggered something in my stepfather uh, that led to a series of uh, continuous abuse, physical, emotional, verbal uh, for my mother and uh, and my younger sister as well. Wow. Uh, and most of the time, you know, I described my book, we didn't even know what we had done wrong. Yeah. Uh, so we were really too poor to have a vacuum cleaner, for example. And so one of the things he would force us to do is just really crawl around on our knees uh, in, in every room and just pick up all the oh. loose dirt and paper and lint and trash that we could find. And upon inspection, if he uh, saw that it wasn't to his satisfaction, we found something that we missed and we would be punished for it. What a horrible uh, thing so, for little kids to go through. I just I, I just cringe sure. when I think about it, and yet you've overcome all that. It's so wonderful. Now you have uh, three kids of your own. Well, what was your first uh, subpar uh, round of your life? <laughs> <laughs> um, my first subpar round um, uh, was, I think, on host seven uh, is what I had on my scorecard. And looking, and looking back on the whole seven, uh, that was uh, up here when I was 27 to 30 years old. And that was really when I first met my wife and uh, found the love of my life and um, ended up proposing to her. So that was a big win in my book. Yeah, uh, that was a birdie for sure. <laughs> yes, that, that was a birdie and a part three. <laughs> Well, as an so, adult, so, you've accomplished two major career transitions. What criteria do you recommend in evaluating whether or not to remain in your present job and career? And is it possible to have fun while you earn a living? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, that I came to a crossroads um, before uh, I decided to uh, go down this journey of of, um, of of writing a book and being an author. Uh, I had been burnt out in physical therapy. 
Uh, and, you know, I had always been big into self-development, personal development, uh, self-help, and uh, big into reading uh, materials from Jack Canfield, Tony Robbins, you know, uh, those type of people, uh, major influencers uh, uh, that leave, yeah, that, that, that leave tra- trails. You know, one of Tony's mantras is success leaves clues. And so I was really uh, uh, diligent at really exposing myself daily on a daily basis to all the positive uh, thoughts to 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 help me overcome all the negative in my life, oh, great. Uh, all the bad uh, trauma that I've experienced. So one day I came across this video by Steve Harvey. It was called Jump, um, and uh, the story that he uh, shares is that you know anybody that's ever done anything great in life has always had to take, walk up to that cliff, to the edge of that cliff, and take a leap of faith and just jump. Uh, and like, you know, most times when you jump, you don't know whether your parachute is going to open or not. Uh, but you just have to trust that God has a plan, a bigger plan for you, uh, yeah. that your parachute will open. And so that's what I did. Uh, I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy. I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just finished my front nine. I really want to make the most of my back nine. And, and what do I want to do? What type of life do I want to, uh, do I want to live? And what type of legacy do I want to leave behind? Well, whatever your score, uh, whatever you score yourself or your life thus far, above or below par, what are some worthy goals for the remainder of your life? I know you, you had some great goals there that you included in, in your book. Um, yes, uh, the goals is to, um, are you talking about the, uh, the, the lessons that I, I've learned or the uh, The goals, goals that you set for yourself for the rest of your life, given, you know, whatever, wherever you stand at this point in your life on the front nine. What are some worthy goals for the back nine? That, to me, in my book, is really to make the most of your potential, like what we discussed earlier, and really enjoying the round and not be so focused. You know, I know the scorecard gives us perspective, but to not be so focused on that because uh, lots of times you get too focused on the score and you kind of lose sight of the forest and the trees, if you will. Yeah, you um, concentrate just, on one hole at a time. That makes a lot of sense to me rather than regretting the past. That's You're right. You're on hole right. 10 now or 11 <laughs> or whatever. It makes no sense to keep uh, mourning over how you did on prior holes, although you can That's use right. that as a lesson for yourself. But uh, and, and one of the powerful stories that I just came across recently was, uh, I really don't remember the, 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 the guy's name, but he is such an inspiration in that he was born with no arms and no legs, but he was he set a goal to climb, uh, climb Mount Everest. And mm-hmm. he was almost to the top when he just felt his body just, he, he just didn't feel like he had enough to, to make it to the very end. Yeah. And that's when uh, one of his companion uh, climbers, Told him, hey, just focus on the next, uh, the next step, if you will, for him. Yeah. So that's what he did. He just focused on the next step, and and he knew he could do it. And then after that, he focused on the next step, yeah. and the next step. And so recently, on a run, uh, I just started a uh, regimen where uh, where I'm I'm running again. Oh, and uh, towards the end of that run, I just felt like, hey, I can't can't do anymore. But what I did was focus on the next. Uh, I was running on a, a concrete pavement. Uh, and yeah. sidewalk, and I just focused on the next square block that I could make oh, it to. Great. So once I managed that, I said, okay, I can make it to the next one, and then the next one. So I just focused one step, one block at a time, and before long, I was able to complete the whole uh, the, the whole journey of, of, of what I had well, uh, wanted wonderful. to accomplish on that 
So that's what I encourage people to do. When, when they're struggling, just focus on the next step that you can take. Let's say you can't even get out of bed, then make that your first goal. Yeah. Get out of bed. Brush your teeth. What's the next step? Get dressed. Yeah. What's the next step? You know, just well, <laughs> get perhaps breakfast. The, perhaps the saddest conclusion that anyone can reach when we play the 18th hole is to look back with regret and utter, if only or I could have been. Can you suggest a more co- positive ending when we're on the 18th hole? What should we shoot for? A <laughs> <laughs> uh, life well lived is a life without regrets, uh, basically. Yeah. And, and, and if you look back and say, hey, I have no regrets. And uh, one of the quotes that I uh, I recall that, that was so powerful is, hell on earth is meaning the man that I could have become. Yeah. And you don't want to be on the 18th hole thinking, hey, I could have, you know, this is the man I could have become, but I didn't. Yeah. And so it's never too late, no matter what hole you're on in life, it's never too late to still uh, become that person that you know in your heart you can be. Yeah, I also like the uh, comment you made that I've made a positive impact on those people I've come across in my life. That's such a key element of uh, success yes, in life is to go yes, beyond sir. yourself. <laughs> That's right. Ultimately, it's it's the in, impact that you've made on people that they'll remember most. You know, at the end of your life, people are not going to care about what how many trophies you won and all your major accomplishments. All they're gonna that's going to matter to them uh, when they're attending your funeral service is hey, how did you impact their life? Yeah. Uh, and yes, and and if I can uh, for a moment, you know, my mother just passed away last week, oh, and it was so heartening for me to look and see how many people showed up for her at her funeral service. And ultimately, that's what it boiled down to. She went through a lot of adversities uh, in her life, uh, similar to me, uh, but probably twice as much because she was paralyzed from the waist down and spent the last 23 years of her life confined to a wheelchair. But she remained independent, but she did not let that stop her from uh, experiencing love, sharing love, and, 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 and living with love everyone that came into her life and ultimately that was what most you know everybody there remembered uh, yeah that's the a book service. in itself is uh, your mother's tremendous courage there all she's yes, gone sir. through and uh, yes, the sir. wheelchair on top of uh, having to as a child uh, escape Vietnam it's a really a wonderful story but where's the best place for listeners to uh, go to preview and purchase your book do you have a place they should uh, do that yes sir thank you Roy it's a uh, www um dot golf round of your life dot com golf round of your life dot com and on facebook and social media i'm um i uh, i'm the back nine author because oh. i'm that, that's what i'm doing on my back nine of my life being an author and trying to make a difference and make an impact on as many people as i can uh through my writing well that's great that uh well, certainly it's possible to develop a clear path of where we wish to go with our lives, how to live up to our full potential. We need to understand where we've been and why, uh, where we are today, and comparing life to a golf scorecard is a very unique, positive approach to mapping out the future, to uh, evaluating the past as, as a third party, not as uh, someone who regrets everything they did, but uh, then to... Uh, look to the future and uh, scoring each step of the way as we go through the rest of our lives, I think is a most worthy uh, objective and uh, 
something really unique and uh, something I'm going to try myself. And thank you so much, Andre Wu, for uh, reviewing this, uh, introducing us to this scorecard for life at the, where you compare thank, thank life. Thank you, Roy. And if I, yeah, if I can uh, just close with one quick thing, that readers don't have to be golfers to really get uh, get the benefits from my book, the message, because uh, it's really about resilience and, and, and like I said, enjoying them and making the most of your potential in life. That's so. very true, and you don't have to be a good golfer either. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm evidence of that. <laughs> well, go out and enjoy yourself on the golf course, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for joining us today, Andrew, and uh, Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 